two minutes went past. Well, good morning, FCC Church. Good is morning. There, is, there, yeah, is everybody good morning, awake? Good morning. <laughs> All right. Um, could you please stand up and worship along with us? Miss Madonna. There she comes. Calling. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. How's everybody this morning? Great. Awesome. Beautiful day, beautiful day. Sorry, I'm just buying time. <laughs> Waiting for everybody to yes. get in, get seated. Just, you know, I like being honest. Oh 
Psalm 42.11 says, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together for this time of worship, and we're here to lift up the name of Jesus together. And Father, we thank you for the blessings we have in him, and we thank you for all that's been done so that we can have eternal life through you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. We're here to worship the Lord together and glad that you've chosen to do that with us today. Please take some time to fill out your connection card this morning so that we, if you have prayer requests and such, we can catch those. And if you're watching us online, we ask you to do the same thing. Now, what I'd like to do is we're going to give you exactly three minutes and the band's going to come back up here so that you can go around and say hello to somebody. Make someone feel welcome here this morning as we're here to worship together today.
he's going to play the beat for me.
Isaiah 41:13 For I am the Lord your God who holds your right hand who says to you do not fear I will help you Same power that 
Psalm 46, 1 through 2. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas.
Please be seated. As we've been going through this series in the, book, the two books of Thessalonians, we noticed that people were longing for the return of the Lord. And some of them were, were longing for it so much, they expected it so much that what they were doing is many of them were checking out of life. In other words, what they were doing is they would just kind of go on the mountaintop, let everybody else feed them. They're just sitting there waiting. Why do you need a job if the Lord's going to come back tomorrow or today? And that was kind of the mentality of the folk, some of the folks at that time because they expected him at any moment. Now, do you expect him any moment? See, when you do, you live life differently. Now, the problem was some of these folks, well, all these people expected him, expected him to come back at any moment, but some of them weren't living the way they should. And last week we talked about what we should be doing as we're waiting for the return of the Lord. But there was a portion of people that didn't realize that. The last couple chapters of 1 Thessalonians that we covered these last two weeks, the last few weeks, Paul wrote these to comfort the Christians because remember they were struggling. They expected Jesus to come back any moment, but yet their friends and family and their loved ones were dying, some of them by the hands of others. And they were wondering, what's going to happen when the Lord returns? And they're dead. So Paul took the time to explain it. He laid it out. He explained how things are supposed to work. And then he finished up basically the last chapter of, of, of 1 Thessalonians by saying, encourage one another with these words. So in other words, don't freak out anymore. You don't need to. Well, that brings us to the book of 2 Thessalonians. And 2 Thessalonians was just written within months of the completion of 1 Thessalonians. This would put the date of the letter sometime late AD 52 to 50, early 53. And this letter was written because apparently a, a report had reached Corinth where Paul was that some people were doing some things that they shouldn't. There were some troublesome new developments in the life of the church at Thessalonica. And what was happening is some people apparently used some forged evidence claiming that they were Paul, Silas, and Timothy trying to tell people that the day of the Lord had already happened or it had already begun. And Paul says, no, that's not how it goes. So he took this letter of 2 Thessalonians, among other things, to help correct that, incorrection, to, that false teaching. See, what Paul t teaches us, and we saw this two weeks ago, the last couple weeks, that before the, 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 the Lord returns, there will be some great events that will happen. And we went through those events. So anytime somebody tries to tell you other, otherwise, you just go to Thessalonians and say, let's, let's look at what it says. Here's what's going to happen and how. And so what was happening now is because some people thought the day of the Lord was happening right there in their presence, some undisciplined Christians that we talked about earlier, and remember we talked about the undisciplined, those were people that some translations called unruly, 
An undisciplined was a per- person with somebody in the military who was stepping out of, mar- was not marching to the same beat that everybody else was. They weren't doing what they were supposed to. They were derelict in their duties. And so what was happening is some undisciplined Christians, as a result of believing that the day of the Lord has taken place right then, were doing the things that we talked about earlier. They weren't working to support themselves. Um, they were not doing anything they needed to do. Um, they weren't doing anything to be productive. They weren't showing repentance. On the other side of it, Paul will encourage the working Christians to quit enabling the undisciplined ones in their lifestyle and to do things to help lead those other folks to repentance. And so that's basically what this second letter was written for. Now, with that in mind, the backdrop of these, both these letters is persecution. I mean, we've talked about the temptation to think that God is not with us and doesn't care about us when we're going through difficult times. And you would think that following Jesus would shield you from these things, from persecutions, from email scams and things like that. Yet the church of Thessalonica, who was very faithful to Christ, they were in the midst of all this. But yet they were facing the same thing that all the other Christians in the Roman Empire were facing, lots of persecution. Today's message is entitled, Think About It. And in it, in in the message today, we're going to see that Paul encourages Christians to keep moving forward no matter what. And what I'm hoping to do through this message as we go through it is to get us to think about things that we do, things that we say, things that we think, the ways that we act, before we do them, and to think about the consequences, the potential consequences of the decisions that we make in life. See, these folks were being persecuted, and really on the outside, it looked like the persecutors were winning. The Romans were growing. They just looked like they were just making some serious bank off the Christians. Well, it's easy to give up and quit when things are getting difficult. It's very easy. A lot of people do. Uh, Even sometimes, you know, people will get operations and they're given physical therapy that's very arduous and difficult. And many times they'll quit doing it because it's just they feel like it's too much. And then they wonder, well, why doesn't my leg work right? Well, because you didn't do what you're supposed to. But a lot of times people don't want to push through those difficulties. But what we need to do is Paul wants us to think about all the choices that we make in life because those choices matter. The decisions you make matter. Some people say, well, even what you eat, well, yeah, actually it does too, because if you don't eat the right things, you grow out of suits that you should be wearing right now. But anyway, but one of the most important decisions we're going to make in our life, it's really twofold. Number one, am I going to accept Jesus Christ? But then the second part of that is, am I going to follow him? See, a lot of people will claim Jesus, but yet they don't follow him. And there are ramifications for that, unfortunately. And we'll hit on those a little bit in the message. So we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll begin with verses 3 and 4. And I know your notes in your bulletin say 1 Thessalonians. I told them in first service, I don't print the bulletins. <laughs> but I actually did that one, so it's, that's not on Chris. I'm not going to throw her under the bus on that. But I, I went back and looked all at my all of my 2 Thessalonians slides, and I accidentally put first on them. So anyway, that's been fixed on the screen. So yay. So here we go. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith flourishes more and more, and the love of each other, of each one of you, that each one of you all have for one another is even greater. As a result, we ourselves boast about you in our in the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in all persecutions and afflictions you're enduring. 
So, Paul offers the praise. Here's a church that's going through it. It's been tough. And Paul is praising them off the bat. Um, their faith was getting stronger. Their love was growing in spite of the persecution they were facing. And when he talks about in the first in verse 3, he says, I ought to do this. When you go back up here, he says, we ought to give thanks. He's not saying, ah, we ought to do it. It's an obligation. You're all doing No, he's saying the word here expresses a moral obligation. You know, sometimes you'll give somebody a compliment, and they really didn't deserve it, but you're kind of giving it to them to hopefully motivate them. You know, I did that in coaching sometimes. You'd girl make a mistake, and you go behind them and say, hey, you did a good job because you wanted to. I wanted to be able to teach her later. But in the moment, if you tried to jump in and say, oh, that was horrible, you should quit, you know, you're not going to get through to them. Well, in this case, when Paul's giving these compliments to them, it is not, oh, we're just going to try to encourage you. He was serious. These folks were doing so well overall that he wanted to praise them, and he had a moral obligation to do that. And he's saying rightly so. He says rightly so, because what's happened is in the first letter, he praised the church a lot, and we kind of suspect that the church felt guilty about getting the praise that they didn't feel like they deserved it. And Paul says, no, you've earned this. It is fitting, some translations will say. Um, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the verses we just covered, it provides us of a, a, a remarkable example of the Thessalonian believers' unwavering faith and love despite the difficulties and the persecution they were facing. This passage offers us an opportunity to explore some of the themes of spiritual growth amid adversity. In verses 3 and 4, the first thing you see is you can, you can see the power of faith. When Paul talks about this, how he's just thankful for what they're doing. These people, their faith was growing amid all the trials they were facing. And it became a source of strength and encouragement for other people. See, we can see how faith empowers us to face challenges, to trust God's promises, and to find hope in difficult times. Perseverance stresses the active endurance under difficulties and pressure. This was not easy. When you persevere, that means you're really putting forth the effort to do something. It also denotes a patience. You know, a lot of times uh, people buy exercise equipment as a New Year's resolution, and then what ends up happening is you see clothes hanging off of them, you know, in about Jan mid-January. You know, that bike becomes a good clothing rack, and that weight bench becomes something where you can kind of lay out your craft items and stuff. It's because what ends up happening is we go into these things with good intentions, but then what happens is when you start doing the work of, of getting yourself into shape, it's difficult. And many people just won't persevere, and hence your exercise equipment becomes laundry equipment. Um, and when he talks about their faith here, he's not just talking about, oh, you profess Jesus. He's talking about the faithfulness these people have, a way of life, a consistency of faith that says whether we're going to be persecuted today, mistreated today, or treated wonderfully, we're going to be faithful to God, despite the difficulties that being in Christ brought them because a lot of their problems were simply just because they were following Jesus. Adversity, particular, particularly persecution, can do a couple things to a person. It can strengthen you, or it can destroy you. Amid all what was happening in Thessalonica to the Christians, their faith flourished and strengthened. Perseverance and faith were the Thessalonians' answer, their response to what was happening to them. Paul used these two terms, he used a couple terms 
to uh, describe when he talked about persecution and, and trials, he used these things to exemplify the difficulties they were facing. You know, sometimes when, like a surgery, you know the definition of a major surgery when it happens to you? You know, when you hear somebody else say, I'm going to go in, they're going to take my heart out, and they're going to replace the valve here, and then they're going to, they're going to, they're going to stitch this up, they're going to clear the blockages, and you sit there and listen, and you're like, okay. They're going to cut my chest open and bust my, 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 my chest. You're like, okay. Are you sweating it? I mean, we hear this all the time, and that's going to be okay. But when you're the one saying, yeah, this is what's going to happen to me, it's big. Now, all of a sudden, it's big because it's happening to you. Well, he talked about the persecution they're facing, and persecution indicates suffering inflicted by others because of their opposition to your faith. He said, you are being persecuted. You are being attacked because of your faith. And then when he talks about the afflictions, that's a broader term that deals with any suffering, but particularly in the New Testament context, it frequently, it frequently deals with being persecuted because of your faith. So they're basically two words that mean the same in the New Testament, but he uses both of them to emphasize I know this is tough. This isn't like you telling me about a surgery you're having, and I'm like, okay, it's going to be okay. Of course, back then, who wants a surgery? But, but, but instead, he's like, this is difficult, very difficult. And these two words combined shows that Paul knows what they're facing. He's not just fluffing it off and saying, oh, yeah, you're doing great, you know, in spite of, ah, oh, you're having some trouble. But he's using this word flourish, and this word flourish is really neat because it was a metaphor that we used at the time for the rapid growth that we see in animals, in the vegetable world. And it also implies that excitement to see that growth. Has anyone in here ever planted the plant? I, back in the Midwest, we all did, but I don't know out here. If you've ever planted a plant, did you get excited like that tomato plant? You're, oh, look at, if you do it from seed, look, it's sprouted. You know? And look, it's getting, it's got leaves. Look, little tomatoes are starting to grow. This is awesome. Or peppers or whatever you like. It's amazing. And you get excited, you go, oh, yeah, it sprouted today. Oh, look, a leaf. Yeah, there's a tomato. Oh, wow, there's a bunch of tomatoes. Who cares? No, man, you're, you're excited. Or when you bought that little puppy or little kitty, you know, and it's so little and cute, and cats always stay cute all the way by the time, by the way. But, and cat and doggies too, too. But they get big, and you get excited. I, I, I follow this uh, panther. Uh, this, these people have a panther. I love, man, I want to pet that thing so bad. It's a black panther. But they showed it when it was a little kitten, and they're just holding it, basically. And now it's a big cat. And, uh, it's, but anyway, it's exciting to see that growth. And so when Paul uses this word flourish, he's saying, I see your growth, and it's exciting. Now, one of the ways you can determine if your faith is growing is by your love. Your love for others, your love for the Lord. See, despite the persecution, the people at Thessalonica... Their love for one another and for God remained steadfast, and it grew. Paul praised their cultivation of love that grew while persecuted, being persecuted. Now, what can end up happening to us when we get under pressure, we get stressed, or we get persecuted or afflicted, we can do one of two ways with other people. One of them is we, we can hold on tighter, say, hey, we're in this together. We're going to make it. We're going to get through it or we can tear each other apart. I've seen both. Pressure in people's life can either bring them together or split them apart. And this is one of the things that's important about the church, that we have to be a group that loves one another. 
so that when difficulties come and when one of us faces stresses, they were all here saying, I can help you. I can help you. Trans love, transformative, there's a transformative power in love that enables us to extend grace where it's not deserved, to give forgiveness when it probably shouldn't be, and to extend kindness even when people are not nice to us. Love can transform us. I've seen way too many people, particularly Christians, who they're just sad and angry and upset all the time. And by the way, one thing that you can do to fix that, turn off the news. It just is depressing. And by the way, what's happening in Israel is horrible. Can you imagine having a bunch of thugs come in and take your family members and kill them in front of you? And then take women and children and hide from them, behind them like cowards? Just something to think about. Israel will get them back. But the thing is, adversity... It has the ability to either hinder or strengthen your faith and love. Marriages, you know, the marriage is going along great because everything's going wonderfully. The jobs are there, the money's there, the love is there, the affection's there. And all of a sudden, a pressure hits the marriage. What happens? You either come together and say, honey, we're going to get through this. You know, a lot of marriages dissolve when a child is lost. I can't imagine what that's like. I wouldn't. I can't even imagine what that's like, but a lot of marriages end when that happens. It's a horrible thing to have to go through. And I've, we've had friends that have gone through it. It's hard. But you can either say, we're going to come together, or in the case of a lost child, you can blame each other for every little thing that you think you did wrong. And you can tear each other apart. And many times marriages end when the pressure comes because they just start tearing each other apart. When these folks were being persecuted, it would have been so easy to turn on one another. But they didn't do that. Challenging times offers us an opportunity to grow spiritually. It allows our faith and love in Christ to mature and our perseverance and reliance on God to grow. Paul said that the overall example of that church, what it was doing is it was encouraging other people, saying, hey, look at this, because they were in the same boat the Thessalonians were in. And so what we need to realize is one of the reasons that we come together as a church is to be an encouragement. The world's a mess right now. I think it's pretty easy to say it's been a mess forever, but it's a mess. What does the world need to see from the church? Bickering and backbiting and fighting? Public displays on Facebook? No. They need to see love. They need to see us coming together. They need to see when the pressure's on that we can handle it. See, Paul emphasizes here, and in, uh, he emphasizes here, that that deep love that the Thessalonians had for each other and for God, that other churches, other people were looking at that, and it was encouraging to them. They, it was an inspiration to see their unwavering commitment of those believers in Thessalonica. And the world around us needs to see that too. They need to see, in spite of all the junk we've got going around, that we're not falling apart, tearing into each other, that we love one another, that we love them. Instead of blasting a brother or sister in Christ when we don't get our way, why don't we proclaim our love for them in spite of not getting our way? That's an example the world needs to see. Not, well, I disagree with you or you hurt me, so I'm going to tear into you. I'm going to make some veiled references to see on social media somewhere and be a hero behind a keyboard. Or instead, I'm going to say, you know what? We have our differences, but man, I love that brother. I love that sister. I'm not happy with him right now, but I sure love him. Think about it. Think about it. When you're facing difficulty, how will you react? How will the trials affect... That was, that was pretty cool. 
thought we were going to get some bagpipes there for a minute. If we got a bagpiper, I think Rod can get you in the band. But, uh, but anyway, how, think about it. When you're dealing with difficulty, how are you going to react? Are you going to be destroyed? Or are you going to grow stronger? Will you let the difficulties destroy you and define you? Or will you be victorious in Christ over what you're facing? Let me tell you, I've been on both sides of it. It's much better to be victorious in Christ. It's much better. Let's move to verses 5 through 10. This this is evidence of God's righteous judgment to make you worthy of the kingdom of God for which, in fact, you are suffering. For it is right for God to repay with affliction those who afflicted you, who afflict you. And to you who are being afflicted to give rest together with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. (laughs) Sorry. I heard it again. With flaming fire, he will melt out punishment on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord. Jesus. They will undergo the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his strength when he comes to be glorified among his saints and admired on the day that all who have believed and you, have, you, have, you and you did, in fact, believe our testimony. So the second thing Paul is going to address is the persecution. Now, this topic can be basically an abstract concept to you until you're in the midst of it. It's like listening to somebody tell you what they're going to have done medically. It's kind of abstract because it's not happening to you, you know. But when it's you that's going under the knife, it's, it's real. It's no longer theory. And for these folks, the persecution that Paul spoke of was not some theoretical, well, here's a, here's a, 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 a I don't know, a, what am I trying to say, an educated way to handle what you're going through. No, they were in the middle of it. And so whenever you're facing these issues, a burning question is the problem of evil and the problem of suffering, even from Christians. But from those outside the church, I've heard people say, well, if God is real, then why, I don't know, this hurricane kill a bunch of people? Or why did those, those cowards in, 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 in Hamas do what they did in, 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 in Israel? If there's a God is a loving God, then why? The biggest question we ask is, why is this happening? Have you ever gone through a trial and never asked, why is this happening? I, I think we all ask that question because we're humans, and it's a question we have to confront. But the question becomes even more intense when the reason you're suffering is because of who you follow, when the reason you're suffering is because of your faith in Christ. See, Christians who believe themselves to be people of God and who have received salvation from Christ and are experiencing the fulfillment of God's promises, this can even be a more difficult question to ask, to answer. Is God really on their side? If he's so loving and so powerful, then why am I suffering? And see, I, it cracks me up when I've, I've, heard, I've heard preachers talk about this before, and they'll be like, well, you know, uh, God's going to make you healthy and wealthy, and, you know, if you're suffering, it's because you're some kind of a sinner. And I'm thinking, I said, I would love to have the Apostle Paul next to me answering your, your stupid answer to that. Because Paul, what did he go through? Pretty bad. Now, Paul persecuted the church. But God wasn't punishing for that. God brought him to Christ, brought him into the faith. And Paul had all these things happening, serving the Lord. 
Peter was crucified eventually. All the disciples were killed, were crucified, or excuse me, were persecuted and killed for their faith, except for John, who died of old age. But these are guys, Jesus loved Peter. Well, here's what 1 Thessalonians says about that, verses 3 and 4. So that no one would be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For in fact, when we were with you, we were telling you in advance that you would, we would suffer affliction, and so it has happened, as you well know. And so one of the, time, the reasons that we'll suffer is a result of our identification with Christ, as we identify with Christ. Because we're united with Christ in his, in his life, we're going to be also united with his suffering at times. One would think if you belong to him, this isn't a problem. Life would be smooth, it'd be problem-free, but that's not true. To belong to Jesus can lead to suffering in this age. Many people who've been martyred throughout the ages, you know how they could have stopped it? Just denied Christ. When I was taking my philosophy, I remember in, second, in first service, I forgot which school I was at, but when I was at, uh, I went to Moberly Community College to take a class while I was in Bible college. And the professor was talking about persecution. He says, well, if they came in, if somebody comes in here and says, are you going to deny Jesus? If you don't, you're going to die. There were a lot of the young kids at the time were like, well, yeah, I would do that. That way I could go on and preach Jesus later. Because they said, if they surmised, well, if I'm not alive, I can't preach. And my, and my other older friend, we were both older, we were 30 years old at the time, so we were the old guys in the class. We were like, well, the problem with that is, is your testimony means nothing at that point because you wilted under pressure. And with that being said, I'm not criticizing that wilting. That would be hard not to. But when you realize where you're going, death isn't the worst thing on the planet. It's going to be a glorious time. And if I deny Jesus, and then I can go ahead and just preach him, and they say, well, when, when the going got tough, what'd you do? Well, I denied him so I could keep living. That's not going to do much, is it? See, belonging to Jesus can lead to suffering. However, when people are asking, why is this happening? Why are these Romans getting off? Why are these terrorists doing what they're doing? God has a response. And he says this. In this passage, in verses 5 through 10, he gives a powerful message about God's righteous judgment. And he's telling the church at Thessalonica through Paul, he says, listen, these Romans are doing bad things to you, but they're not getting away with it. They'll pay for it one day. Now, when Paul's writing this, he's not going, ha, 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 yeah, they're going to get it. And those unbelievers that won't listen to me, they're going to go to hell. This is going to be great. I think he's brokenhearted. I think he's brokenhearted. These Thessalonians were facing persecution for the faith. But Paul said, God will take care of this. And this encourages us to trust in God's just, justice and to see that our struggles and ultimately, will ultimately bring God's justice. But that should also encourage us even the more to try to share the gospel with people and bring them to Jesus. You know why? Two reasons. Those who are persecuting us, persecuting anybody that persecutes, they're, they're not going to see heaven. So they need to be one for Christ so that, you know, Paul, Paul was persecuting the church. Think Paul's in heaven? Yeah. You know why? Because he gave his life to Christ. So it's not, you, it's not something you can't come back from. So we need to reach out. But do you realize, and I think this is hard for us, and this isn't something we should be happy about, okay? You do know, do you know 
that Kevin, whoever your Kevin may be, if Kevin doesn't have Jesus, Kevin is not going to see heaven. Kevin, heaven. I like that. I just thought of that. No heaven for Kevin without Jesus. It's not going to happen. Well, Kevin's a good guy. Okay, that's nice. No heaven for Kevin without Jesus. Well, Kevin, you know, he does so many good things. No heaven for Kevin without Jesus. But he's my family member and I love him. No heaven for Kevin without Jesus. And we tell ourselves, well, Kevin's a good guy. And then what we do is we never share the gospel with Kevin because he's such a good guy. And what we're doing is we're telling Kevin, we don't want you in heaven because we don't want to share Jesus with you because we're afraid you might be upset. We're afraid it might cause us a problem. See, my point is, we tell ourselves all the time that good people that we love and our, that are friends and our family that die are going, they're in a better place. Without Jesus, folks, no, they're not. And that shouldn't be something that makes us happy. It's not something that we should relish. It's not something, well, they deserved it. They, deserved, they rejected Jesus. It should be something that breaks our heart and motivates us to say, I need to tell Kevin about Jesus so Kevin can go to heaven. Period. If you don't remember anything today, you'll remember Kevin in heaven. So. But that's the fact of the matter. And so this should, this should intensify our efforts to reach those we love. Because you never know when your last breath is coming. You never know. So make the most of it. See, Paul, these Thessalonians that weren't working and doing their job, Paul's saying they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They should be out sounding the alarm, trying to bring people into the kingdom of God, but instead they're sitting up there eating everybody else's donuts, waiting for the Lord to return. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Paul talks about the purpose of the suffering, and God's not saying he caused it, but Paul says that God uses this to execute his righteous judgment. And so we also have that opportunity through the suffering to, be, to live a life worthy of the calling because it, it causes us to reevaluate our purpose, to reevaluate what we're doing and why we're doing it. Are we relying on God or are we not? It talks about future punishment. And, you know, back in the day when I was a kid and I go to church once in a while, you go to those pulpit-beating preachers, snarling fire and the... I'm surprised they didn't have special effects of fire blowing out when they're doing it. Just everybody's going to hell. You're all horrible people. You all suck. God hates you. You better change. They literally were trying to scare the hell out of you, okay, instead of trying to bring you to Christ through the love of Jesus. Love's much more powerful motivator than, than anger and hate and, and fear. The highlight, the seriousness of the gospel and what you do with it's important. We need to think about it. What am I doing with the gospel? Am I living up to the life that's worthy of the calling, as he says, in, as he talks in this passage? And this doesn't mean I'm trying to earn my, earn my eternal life, but God said, here's what I want from you. Here's what, here's what you should do in response to what I've given you. See, a worthy walk is not one where I walk with Jesus while it's good and dump him when it's bad, or I walk with Jesus as long as everything's good and then all of a sudden I could possibly lose my life and so then I reject him so that I can live another day. It's be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life in Revelation 2.10. That's where we got to be. That's where we have to be. Huh. We need to make sure that we reach out. Verse 10 talks about the hope of the second coming and that should motivate us because we know he's coming. We don't know when. We don't know two things. Number one, when we're going to take our last breath, when our friend is going to take their last breath, same thing, or when the Lord's going to return. 
Who is it in your life? Who's the Kevin in your life that you're like, oh, Kevin's going to go to heaven. He's a good guy. Kevin's not going to heaven without Jesus. You've got to know that. You've got to know that. How will you respond to God even when suffering for your faith? Let's quickly ver- uh, jump down to verses 11 and 12, and we'll have a last point here. And in regard, excuse me, and in this regard, we pray for you always that our God will make you worthy of his calling and, fu- and fulfill by his power your every desire for goodness and every work of faith, that at the that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul finishes with a prayer. He concludes this passage with a prayer for them. And he says, listen, he says, I'm going to pray that God will be glorified through you and that you through him. And he gives us a purpose for life. And he talks about this life that's worthy of the calling. He uses the same thing in Ephesians where he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you might have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience putting up with one another in love a life worthy of the calling is one that's lived faithfully period that's what we're called to do and he also says oh by the way i'm going to pray god help you with that because you can't live faithfully without god's help you try to live for the lord without the indwelling of the holy spirit that you receive when you're baptized into christ you're not going to be successful the holy spirit will help empower you And Paul's prayer is that God would help them fulfill every desire they have to serve him, to show them, number one, they need him, and number two, where their focus should be. When we see our life's purpose in Christ, and that is for Christ to be glorified in me and me to glorify and and for him to be glorified in me, then that's what our life is about, and we start living that life. Life isn't about me, myself, and I. When I voluntarily give my life to Christ, it's all about him. A, worth, a life worthy of living is made possible by God's grace. There's transformative power in God's grace. It empowers us to live in obedience, to overcome challenges, and to grow spiritually. So think about it. What is your life about? Who are you living for and why? Life isn't easy, and many people want to choose the easy path. One of the things I love about Narrow Path, and one of the fun things about doing it is it's not just one truck out there. We got a bunch of us out there. And there's times where we take the path and there's a way, to, a way to go to the left that's easy or there's a way to go to the right which is really arduous and fun and difficult. It's dangerous, you know, a little bit. And my wife's always like, take that easy one, take that easy one. And if I'm by myself, you know, be honest with you, I probably would because I'm afraid. But you know what's cool? Is there's been a few times, particularly when I was first doing my off-roading, We'd come to a place, and I'd look at him, I can't do that. And he'd be, yeah, we can do that, we can do it. I said, okay, let's do it. Or if he wasn't in the truck, somebody in front of us, it was usually Chip or somebody or, or Hal or somebody, they'd get up there, hey, we can do this. And then I'm sitting back there thinking, well, I can do it too. I'm not going to lose my man card in front of my woman because I'm afraid to go up the hill. And so I'd go up, I'd do it because I saw someone else do it. It was an encouragement. And then the other thing, that one, one time, uh, I, got my, I actually got my truck stuck in a big water hole. And Andrew, he was getting ready to get out and, get out and hook me up. And I looked at Rob and I said, not on my watch. <laughs> and I took off. I got it out of the mud. You know, I was real happy because I didn't have to get drug out. Not that getting drug out's bad, but I just, you know, I knew it would be all over. But anyway, it was just a man thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to get out of here. But it was because I had people around me. And see, this is what we do as church. We encourage each other. Let's go up that hard, narrow path. Let's do it together. Look, I can do it. You can do it. 
And that's what we're called to do. That's encouragement. When people see that you're going through difficult times and they see you get through it like the church at Thessalonica, guess what? You can do it because we did it. And that's one of the fun things about going off-road, seeing somebody else go up that path, and you're like, well, I can do that. And you do it, where otherwise you wouldn't even try. Here's the thing. During this life, we're going to face pain, suffering, and sometimes persecution at the hands of others. But think about it. What are you going to do? Because here's what's going to happen. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven under earth, and on earth and under earth, and then later on it goes, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When the Lord returns, it's going to be one of two responses. One, you're going to bow down and just, hallelujah, he's back. I'm so happy. Or when he's bringing you back, you're just rejoicing. Or you're going to be one of those who are terrified, knowing that it's over. Do you want Kevin to be terrified? Share the gospel with him. He may reject it, but at least try. At least try. Our application point for today is not to not let anything in life distract us from what we're called to do in Christ. We need to think about it when we're tempted. We need to think about it when we're tempted. When things are tough, am I going to leave him? Because my question is, if you're going to leave him, what are you going to? The apostles, I think it's, I think if I remember, it's in John 6. Jesus was popular. He started preaching, and he preached this long sermon. He's talking about, hey, you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people were going, what? And they started leaving him. And Jesus looks back at the disciples and says, are you guys leaving too? Because this was tough teaching. They didn't understand what he was saying. And Peter looked at him and says, Lord, where are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? For you have the words of life. Where are you going to go? Think about it. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. Our praise team is going to lead us in a song. And as we sing that, if you've not accepted Jesus, if you want to come forward, you can, you can confess him as your, put your faith in him, confess him as your Lord. Repent to him of your sins. Meet him in the baptismal waters. You're going to be immersed into Christ. You're going to rise and walk in the newness of life. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit within you, and your sins are washed away. You're a new creation. You don't have to be defined by who you were. You can be defined by who you are in Christ. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. If you're struggling and need prayer, if you'd like to come forward, you be, please come forward and you can, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we stand together and sing our song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone.
seated. You know, sometimes we we take communion and we do it all the time. And the early church did it every day and then eventually they did it um, weekly. And so that's why we do it because of the example. But I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can get into this habit of here's a cup, here's a loaf, blump, 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 say a little prayer and we're done. One of the things I love about this song and uh, the original Amazing Grace, this was a hybrid of that, was is a beautiful song. But I love the fact that that this time should help us to have a sense of awe with God, to remember how amazing it is that he offers us grace. I've always told people, if you knew me, you wouldn't like me. And the good thing is God knows me and he does like me and he loves me. And that to me is amazing. And God loves you and that's amazing. And the thing about myself is I have a couple, lot, many, multiple, millions of flaws. But God still loves me. God knows me better than anyone, probably better than I know myself. But God still loves me. And in spite of who I am, he's offered me amazing grace. The grace is just amazing. Because how many times, how many, how many people in your life do you love no matter what? no matter what. Probably for many of you, not even your spouse. It's hard. It's hard to overlook those flaws and those imperfections and those idiosyncrasies and things like that. But God's overlooked them all. And he sees me through Jesus as perfect, which I am far from. And I think that's just amazing. That love and that grace sent Jesus to the cross when we take this cup that represents his blood and that bread that represents his body, these were done because of God's amazing grace. Not just his grace, not just his grace, his amazing grace. Because he did it for you. He did it for me. He knows you and he still loves you. While we were yet sinners, Christ went to the cross. Not when we put on our makeup. I don't have to wear makeup yet. No. Not after we do this, not after we put on the tie, not after we put on the nice dress, not after we cleaned up our act, while we were yet sinners, he died. Amazing. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the amazing grace that you've extended to us and that we see it manifested through your son, Jesus. And we take this time to remember what this cup and this loaf represents, why it was done, and just the amazing grace behind it and the amazing love that you've given us. Father, I pray that as we examine our hearts, that we do so just in awe of you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
of your bulletin, we have announcements. Um, we have our elder preacher meeting today at 3.30. Uh, Jerry's going to have all of his youth activities. Roger will have his group this evening. The office will be closed tomorrow. Um, our leadership team meeting is Tuesday. We have all of our Bible studies going on. Um, we see other announcements. The harvest party's underway, so please read the announcements on that if you would like to help with that. If you've never been to our harvest party, you need to come. We have kids from all over town coming through here. It is so much fun, uh, so we need help with that. If you're wanting to nominate somebody for elder or deacon, uh, that's, that paperwork should be coming down pretty here in the next few days. I can't remember exactly when, but so make sure you get that done because we'll have our annual business meeting in December. Operation Christmas Child is looking for some donations, so we ask that you uh, take a look at that. Um, also, um, we had a little incident this week where I was asking everybody for gift cards. And by the way, I'm a little disappointed I wasn't inundated with gift cards today. That was a scam. Uh, somebody got a hold of our um, directory, and we fixed that, so hopefully that won't happen again. No information should have been co was compromised. But um, whenever you see something signed Pastor Jeff, it's not for me. I don't use titles like that. I will use one every once in a while if it will be something I need to do, but with us, we don't. Number two, nobody on the church staff would ever send you an email saying, hey, go buy me gift cards, and by the way, don't bring them to church uh, because... <laughs> you got to take pictures of them because what they do is when you get those gift cards, you take a picture of the front and the back, and then even with the they will clean that gift card out, and you're out your money. You will never get it back. It's been stolen. So these people were trying to steal it, and um, so just be aware. So if you ever get an email that says Jeff's asking you to get him some money stuff, that isn't happening. Call me. Call the office because we don't operate that way, and um, I'm very sorry that anybody, that people got that, but there's nothing I can really do about it. Um, my mother almost got taken for two grand by some of, one of these schemes before. Luckily, my sister-in-law's sister worked at the store my mother was in buying stuff. My mother was a smart woman, but um, yeah, they about took her for two grand. So I have a special place in my heart for that. I won't talk about it right now because it's not very Christian. But anyway, but yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see them in heaven. Hopefully, they repent. Pray for them. But anyway. So whenever you get something like that from, if, look, folks, if anybody's sending you messages asking you to get them gift cards, 105% of the time it's a scam, okay? So call the person and say, hey, did you want this and so on? So anyway, we'll do that. Did you have something, Chip? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was nice. We cleared out a lot of stuff. Okay, so right now I want to show you a clip from Operation Christmas Child. It's the outreach we're focusing in on this month, and you can see the shoeboxes are around, so here we go. Right now we're in Ukraine. We've given out the 200 millionth shoebox in 30 years, 200 million boxes. It's hard to fathom. But it's something God has done. Every box is important. The 200 millionth is not any more important than the person who gave the first box. Because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, being able to be on the other side, to deliver a shoebox to children in Ukraine, is just an absolute privilege. 
This country has suffered incredibly and is and still suffering. These children, this is just a chance to, to put the war behind them for an hour or so, and it gives us a chance just to love them. I got to actually give out the 200 million shoebox to this little girl. She was just so excited about this gift. Her favorite item was a wind-up flashlight. In such a dark time right now in Ukraine, I think that really just drew her in, because it's bright, it's yellow. She was just so excited about it. When the gospel was presented, I prayed that their hearts were opened. The seeds of gospel were planted in those hearts. I know that they felt love today. I know that they felt the hope and love of Jesus. And amidst the war, we know that he is powerful. He is bigger than all of this. And the fact that Operation Christmas Child is able to come into this country and continue to deliver the gospel is it's incredible. It just shows you how amazing our God is. So grab some boxes because it helped. Um, it's just amazing, you know. Those 200 million boxes, over 200 million of them have gone out in that ministry, and we're so thankful that we can part of that. Um, also, um, oh, never mind, I won't go there. Um, on our prayer concerns, uh, keep Doug Jacobs in your prayers. His mother passed away a couple days ago. They're in Georgia, and so keep him in your prayers as he mourns her passing. Uh, we have a praise from TCMI and the help that we're able to give them uh, financially, and that's because of the generosity of the congregation. We have a lot of things to be praying for. Be in prayer for Israel right now in that, in that cowardly attack that hit them. Um, knowing the nation of Israel, they will, uh, they will uh, get, they'll, they'll go back at them. But uh, just what a horrible thing. I just, I don't understand why people just can't leave people alone. I just don't get it. I guess I don't hate people that much, but anyway. It's just sad. So be in prayer for them and the families that have lost loved ones through this senseless act of cowardice. Uh, we have health concerns for people we've been praying for. We have troops who are deployed that are, have ties to First Christian we've been lifting up in prayer. We also have our shut-ins. We're praying for Operation Christmas Child, and going, there's going to be a packing party, I think, on the 22nd of October, and everybody's welcome to attend. There's information about that in the bulletin. And we're also praying for CareNet, as, and they're one of the missions that we support. So keep them in your prayers. At this time, let's stand together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and the band will lead us out with a song this morning. It's been great to be together this morning. Father, we thank you for the blessings we have in you. And Lord, we're thankful that, we're thankful that you love us. And Lord, I pray that as we live life this week, we live it with a sense of, sense of urgency because we want to see Kevin go to heaven, Father. And Father, help us, help us to be able to look around us and find those Kevins in our life and, and show them and share them the message of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.